Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. The following is a recording from our Hearing God and Prophecy Conference. My first experience with prophecy, which is sort of the topic for this weekend, we're going to talk about prophecy and hearing God. Now, I'm just going to be up front. I am neither a prophet nor am I the son of a prophet. Uh, God occasionally may speak to me some things, and hopefully he'll speak some things this weekend, and we'll all get to hear God's voice, and that'll be wonderful. Uh, But more than me hearing from God is my desire that you guys would hear from God and that that would become normal. But uh, my first experience with that as a... a, uh, in my life with the gift of prophecy, uh, was there when I was a senior in, in college. I had already had that experience with the Lord. I had sort of had a theoretical belief that God was still speaking, that God was still healing, um, but I didn't know what it looked like. And so I'd just come back from Young Life Camp. We went to Frontier Ranch, took about uh, 30 kids, and we would do devotionals. Uh, do you remember the the book, My my First 30 Quiet Times? Or maybe my first 20 quiet times? Any of you remember? Do you remember when we used to call them quiet times? Okay, okay, good. (laughs) So we would meet with kids and we would teach them how to, you know, you just begun a a relationship with Christ. What does it look like to have a relationship? So let's teach you how to do that. So we would do devotionals and quiet times every morning at a coffee shop in in College Station, Texas. And um, afterwards, I overhear this guy at another table. All the kids had left and I was sort of preparing for the next morning. And I overhear this guy at another table um, talking about prophecy. And so I'm in the back of my head thinking, is he talking about the gift of prophecy or is he talking about, you know, prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ? And so I just walked over to him and said, "Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. I clearly meant to interrupt him. I don't know why we say things like that. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, I overheard you talking about prophecy. Now, are you talking about the, the gift of prophecy or are you talking about, you know, Prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ. He goes, well, actually, we're talking about the gift of prophecy. I said, really? Uh, can you tell me more about that? And uh, so next thing I know, he's inviting me over for dinner um, to, to eat with he and his wife. Now, I should let you know on the front end, uh, I, was, I was always like a very logical guy. My, my favorite class in college was uh, uh, logic. <laughs> Quite literally, I, I aced that class. It was like my most fun class, and everybody else hated it. I'm like, how can you hate this? This is like how we know what something is, how something is true. Um, and so, but because of that being my, my underpinning and my, my sort of way of thinking, everything was systematized in my head. And so I was incredibly skeptical of anything re- like closely charismatic. Now, I'd had an experience with God but I really hated what I saw on TV. I thought, you have to have a flashy jacket and know how to wave it at people to get them to fall over, uh, to be charismatic. And so I just, I didn't like what I saw. Um, I understand a lot of it is packaging, but for me, it was, it was uh, uncomfortable. I also, I mean, I remember being a, a high school kid and my, my family making fun of television preachers. Uh, specifically, uh, do you remember Bob Tilton, Robert Tilton? There was a video of the famous farting preacher. Do you remember this? Okay, some of you, I know that church, you're not supposed to talk about that, but it, it was like, it was one of the funniest videos I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, and so like, that's the way I thought about charismatic stuff, right? And so I don't want to go to this thing where they're going to prophesy or he's telling you about prophecy without having some sort of guard up and keeping my, you know, critical thinking cap on and, and, and you know, really trying to evaluate what I was hearing. 
Um, so I go and eat dinner with this couple, and everything is rather normal. Like, they seem kind of cool. Uh, they have kids. They, they seem to love their kids really well. They made a good meal. Um, and then at the end of it, they, they want to pray for me. Now, let me, let me just back up before I tell you about the prayer time, because, um, you know, when, when I was a younger man, again, dealt with abandonment issues, I always struggled in relationships with the opposite sex. I had this history of dating a girl for three months, and I would either break up with her because she liked me, and I thought if she likes me, something must be wrong with her, uh, or she didn't like me, and I would just be like, you know, like I had to chase her. So I, I was always chasing after the one walking away. How many of you know that's like a recipe for staying single? Like, but I mean, I, I was recreating the trauma from my childhood. My father walked away, right? If I can get the one walking away, I'll be worth something. So anyway, there was a girl I had sort of met in college who I really liked, and she was, uh, obviously I liked her because she kept, you know, giving me the cold shoulder. And so I thought, you know, any, every rejection, it was like, it was this constant up and down. One day she'd like me, the next day she wouldn't. And my self-esteem would rise and it would fall, and it would rise and it would fall based upon whatever attention she gave or didn't give. And so I remember on one particular night when she wasn't giving me attention, and uh, I was reading in the Old Testament where it talked about David. It says, um, uh, David ministered to the Lord. And so in the midst of me and my codependency, uh, I asked the Lord sort of haphazardly um, in self-pity, uh, God, do I minister to you? Do I even make you happy? Can you hear the self-pity in there? Can you see how like I'm sort of wallowing in something that's like clearly not a good way to evaluate your self-worth based on what someone else thinks of you? But that was me at the time. So I asked that question and just kind of, you know, went to bed and forgot about it. So you now here I am with this couple eating dinner. And the, uh, the wife says, well, Michael, uh, as we were praying, I had a vision of you. And I thought, ooh, a vision? Yeah. <laughs> 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 and immediately I'm like, stone cold face. Don't show any emotion. They are not going to cold read me, you know. And, and she says, well, in the vision, um, I saw the robe, or I saw you wearing the robe of the high priest. She goes, but I have no idea what it means. And I'm thinking, lady, I have no idea what it means either. You're crazy. Like the robe of the high priest, you know. Uh, and then the husband says, oh, I know what it means. And I'm thinking, of course you know what it means. And then he says, uh, well, Michael, the, the high priest is the one who would go in and offer the sacrifice to God. He's the one who ministered to God. So, Michael, God wants you to know that you minister to him. Now, I'm trying to do everything I can to not show any weakness. And I'm fighting back the tears that I, I'm feeling come over my face. Because there's no way he could have known what I had asked in secret. And I mean, here's the crazy thing. When you think about it, like, how many times do we say something to God sort of flippantly? We don't usually expect him to talk back, right? Like, we just sort of say things, or we ask questions, and it's usually really not even a question. It's more of an accusation, right? And yet, God had heard that very thing, and he cared enough to answer that question. And here's the other thing about it. I didn't deserve it. I'm like, he didn't have to talk to me. He doesn't owe me anything. Like, I'm, not, I'm nobody special. I'm just a 
you know, kid wallowing in self-pity and quite sinful at it too. He doesn't have to speak to us and yet there's these occasions where he just says, I've got this. Now, uh, just a, a quick question for you. How many of you, by a show of hands, would pray more if you knew that God heard your prayers? I mean, that's kind of like, how many of you might pray more and ask God for more if you knew not only would he hear your prayers, but he'd answer them? Now, isn't that what the scripture says prophecy is supposed to do? In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, here's my whiteboard, right? I'm going to bring this on over. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 3, that the one who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, uh, encouragement, and consolation. I might have that order wrong, uh, but to edify means to build faith. Uh, encourage, you guys know what that means. It's to give you courage. Encourage, okay, I can't spell. And then uh, consolation, the other word for that is comfort. Now that makes sense after all. What is one of the names of the Holy Spirit? All right, so when the Holy Spirit speaks through somebody through a gift of prophecy, what should it do? Yeah. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, um, Paul will call the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know what else he calls them? He calls them manifestations of the Spirit. You ever hear somebody say, hey, seek the giver, not the gifts? Anybody ever heard that? Any of you said that? Come on, I'm not alone here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you said it. Uh, but yet it's called a manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, you can't get one without the other. To seek the gifts is to seek the giver, and to seek the giver is to seek the gifts. Like, this is how the giver makes himself known in a room. He manifests through these means. And so here I am, and I'm, you know, this little prayer that I prayed in secret, God, do I even make you happy? Do I minister to you? And then God takes this couple who I was somewhat skeptical of, who didn't know me from Adam, and they said, Michael, God wants you to know that you minister to him. You make him happy. I mean, that's a hard sell. Like, I know myself well enough to know I'm not that good at most things, <laughs> even just not that good at being good. And to think that God actually is pleased by me, like, that's a wild one. And there's no way that he could have known that. How many of you would agree that I, after that, it might have built my faith? It might have caused me to pray more. <laughs> uh, it might have encouraged me when I was at a place that was sort of down. It might have comforted me when I was being rejected by a girl. Because she may not care about me, but God does, doesn't he? Now, when I thought about prophecy or a prophet, I mean, I thought Old Testament, right? I thought if, if there's a prophet, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to call you out, tell you about your sin. He's going to do it publicly so that you can be embarrassed and shamed, right? Is that what it says here? He, he, the one who prophesies speaks to people to shame, condemn, and expose. Is that what it says? Now, some of you are going, but Michael, there were Old Testament prophets, and they did condemn, and they did expose. I'm like, yes, they did. And when you look at the context in which these Old Testament prophets were prophesying, who were they prophesying to? Well, the people that they were prophesying to 
were sacrificing children on the altars of Moloch and Baal and Asherah. The very things that they were told to not imitate, those practices of the Canaanites, well, what did Israel do? All the practices of the Canaanites. And so, yeah, when you know, a person is in the kind of egregious sin, like what was going on in the days of Jeremiah, you could probably expect prophets to come out and say, repent. And that would be a right and good thing. And today, I think there is room for prophetic ministry that says, repent, because we're living in some pretty wicked days. We really are. Um, but usually, the average person sitting in the pew of a church is not sacrificing children to Moloch, is he? No. And, and so when Paul says this to the Corinthian church, he says, this should be the outcome. You build faith, you encourage, and you comfort. And so right there off the bat, when it comes to like how prophecy should be conducted in a church, when you feel like you get a word from God, here's a good filter. If I feel like it's God, does it, would this word coming from my mouth to that person cause them to feel encouraged, comforted, or built up? So kind of think it this way, you know, like when you're, when, when you take your kids bowling, I've got a, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, okay, do you think I give them a 12-pound ball and uh, just say, all right, go have fun? No, I mean, you get them the right ball and you put up the gutters and you make sure that they can stay in the lane, right? Otherwise, it's going to be a miserable experience for your kids. They're going to like, I'm done, <laughs> right? You, 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 you have these sort of things to put up, these guardrails to keep things in the lane, well, same thing is true with prophecy. If you know what it's supposed to do, then that can kind of serve as a guardrail for when you're attempting to speak on behalf of God, which let me just give a, a working definition for prophecy, okay? Um, I use prophecy as sort of an umbrella term to cover all gifts that are revelatory in nature. So you think like in 1 Corinthians 12, it mentions words of knowledge, words of wisdom, or prophecy, Okay. I say that as sort of an umbrella term. I just use the word prophecy to talk about all of those sorts of revelatory experiences. Um, but I would just define it simply as this. Uh, prophecy is hearing God on behalf of others. Okay. Quick question for you. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, what do you think the most common gift uh, in the church, what do you think the most common gift is in the church today? Okay, by show of hands, raise your hand if you'd say miracle working. Think like turning water into wine or multiplying the fish and the loaves. Miracle working. No faith in this room, huh? All right, all right, fine. We'll move on. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. I do that a lot. <laughs> Didn't know that gift of sarcasm was a spiritual gift. But uh, raise your hand if you'd say it's the gift of teaching. All right, got some evangelical brothers and sisters in the room. Uh, raise your hand if you'd say it's the gift of tongues. Come on, Pentecostals. You guys know all about tongues. Uh, raise your hand if you'd say a gift of prophecy. Okay, got a few in the room. Uh, raise your hand if you'd say gifts of healings. Okay, a few hands in there. All right. All got different opinions on this. Yeah, interesting little thing that I've noticed is I travel around, well, a large chunk of the world, and I ask this question all the time just because I'm kind of curious to know uh, what people's experience is. Now, nine times out of ten, when I go to a Pentecostal church, uh, everybody raises their hands on tongues. 
Uh, nine times out of ten, when I go to like a conservative evangelical church, like Presbyterian or Baptist, nine times out of ten, they all raise their hand on the gift of teaching. So there's some irony to this. What do the scriptures say should be the most common gift in the church? Right, so what, what does the, uh, the Bible have to say about teaching? In James it says, let not many of you become teachers. <laughs> Isn't that wild? And yet, I'm telling you, evangelical churches, they always raise their hand on the gift of teaching. When I go to a Pentecostal church, right, nine times out of ten it's the gift of tongues. And that's pretty common. You know, a lot of people believe the, the evidence of the baptism of spirit is speaking tongues. Well, so Joel talks about this. He says, you know, he, one, there's this prophecy about this day when God pours out his spirit on all flesh. Right? So you look at the Old Covenant, who were given the spirit? Who were the people in, in the Old Testament that were given the spirit? Hey, you got the prophets of Israel. You got some of the kings of Israel. You got some of the judges of Israel. And maybe some of the priests of Israel, and then a few Masons. But that's about it, right? That's who is given the Spirit. And yet Joel talks about this day when now it's not just going to be these few elected people. Now it's going to be your sons and your daughters. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, men and women. Old Testament, I only see one female judge. You get a couple of prophetesses here and there, but by and large, it's men only. And not only that, it says on slaves and free men. So every socioeconomic class, God's going to pour out his spirit. And then what will be the overwhelming result? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. There's a guy named John Mark Ruthven, who's uh, recently deceased. Um, he was one of the most, I loved the work he did. He wrote a couple of books called, uh, one of them is called What's Wrong with Protestant Theology? And then uh, something on the Charismata, I can't remember the exact title. But he also did a statistical analysis of the Holy Spirit uh, just throughout the Bible. And what he was trying to do was show how the Protestant reformers, they got it wrong. They made pneumatology, which is the theology of the Spirit, uh, they relegated it to the work of salvation, like how a person gets saved, or soteriology is the term for it. Um, and the reason why, I mean, that makes sense. What were they concerned about in the Protestant Reformation? Are you saved because of uh, the indulgences you pay the Catholic Church? Are you saved uh, time out of purgatory by doing good works? Or are you, as what the Protestant reformers would say, saved by grace through faith? Which one is it? And so they were so concerned with the idea of salvation and soteriology, how one gets saved, that they, all they could do when they talked about the, the, the Holy Spirit had to do with salvation. Well, John Mark Ruthven did the work on it. He says, I looked at every reference to the Holy Spirit. Do you know what 90% of the references have to do? Well, here's a couple of interesting things. 75, well, 25% of the references to the third person of the Trinity are found in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, however, contains 75% of your Bible. So the Old Testament, Old Covenant, has only 25% of the references to the Spirit. Your New Covenant only contains 25% of your Bible, and yet, do you know how many references 
out of the, in the Bible it has, 75% of the references to the third person of the Trinity are found in the New Covenant. That should tell you something about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, the Spirit was given to a few. and the New Covenant, it's given to all flesh. That tells you something. It means the people of God would be marked by the Spirit of God. But then when you look at what the Holy Spirit does, 90% of the references throughout the entirety of the Bible, 90% of the references to the third person of the Trinity, does it have to do with soteriology, how a person is saved? No. 90% of the references to the third person of the Trinity have to do with power. And the vast majority of those references have to do specifically not with tongues, not with teaching, but with prophecy. So what should that tell you about the work of the Spirit in the believer's life? So here's what the new covenant is. It is that the people of God, I mean, this is not just the new covenant. This is the, the affect, the blessing that comes with the new covenant. A new covenant believer is marked by the Spirit of God which largely means that they will operate in power. And what kind of power more specifically? Prophetic power. So a question for you. Which should be the most common gift? Paul will say three times to the Corinthians, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Now the word used for desire earnestly is the same words used for lust after. That's how much you should pursue and desire and want spiritual gifts. But two out of those three references, he'll name one gift above all the others. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Isn't that wild? So what should be the most common gift? Okay. So then who gets to do this? Who gets to prophesy? Well... This is an interesting little passage. Um, let me back up. Who gets to hear God? John 10, 27. My sheep know my voice. Raise your hand if you're a Christian. Raise your hand if you hear God. It's harder to raise your hand on that one, isn't it? Right, but who's right? You or the Scriptures? My sheep know my voice. All of us, if we call ourselves Christian, if we believed in Jesus, and let me just explain what that means. If you believed in Jesus, here's what you've done. You've trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins and to give you new life. You've called him Lord and given your life to him, which means you are no longer the Lord of your life, but he is. Your life is with Christ and in Christ and hidden with Him. Okay, If you've done that, then that means He speaks to you. Now, prophecy is speaking to you or through you on behalf of someone else. So then who gets to do that? Um, John 15, 15. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Um, this is my mentor, Jack Deere. He would quote this one to us all the time. So much, in fact, that I memorized it. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he says, No longer do I call you a slave, for a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. 
But I have called you friends. For everything I hear from God, I make known to you. Who did Jesus share his secrets with? And we say disciples, but that fails to, to take in the full grasp of the terminology there. These are his disciples, but he doesn't just call them that, does he? He calls them his friends. Question for you. Uh, who do you have the hardest time keeping secrets from? Okay, when, when, when something really good happens, who's the first person you want to tell? Yeah, your closest friends or your spouse, Right? The people you, you know intimately, <laughs> when you've got some really bad news, <laughs> and you're not supposed to share this, who do you struggle not sharing that with? I can't, I'm not supposed to tell you, but dude, you've got to know about this. You know what I mean? Did it ever occur to you that maybe God feels the same way about some of his friends? Matter of fact, in the, uh, in the Old Testament, do you know that all the prophets were called the friends of God? And one particular prophet was called the friend of God. He was the only one given the definite article, the friend of God. And you see just a, a beautiful portrait of this played out in the story in Genesis 18 when God sort of comes down with a couple of angels. And he's there to meet with a guy named Abraham, the friend of God. And he's looking over at Sodom and Gomorrah and the evils that are happening there, which, by the way, some of the grossest sin you'll ever hear about took place in Sodom and Gomorrah with regularity. And so he's talking to these angels, and he's saying, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So here's God deliberating on whether or not he should keep a secret from Abraham. Maybe, you think that maybe you could have a friendship with God where it would feel the same. And see, most of us in life, we have enough capacity for maybe a few best friends, if we're lucky, right? I know a lot of people say, you know, my spouse is my best friend. Oftentimes when they say that, they mean their spouse is their only friend. Uh, <laughs> you need more than your spouse to be your friend, okay? Um, I know most of us men in the room are like, I don't need nothing. No, you do. <laughs> God did not <laughs> die on a cross for you uh, and, and resurrect, and then have you be baptized into his death and resurrection and put you in the body of Christ so you could do it alone. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Okay, I don't know what Bible you're reading, but that ain't there. Um, but, so most of us, we have the capacity, because we're limited by, by time, by affection and attention, to have maybe at max a few best friends. But the Lord is not confined by the things that we are. His heart is big enough to encapsulate a whole lot of best friends. And the fact is, the invitation is already there. It's just who of us wants it. And so part of what growing in prophecy looks like is just cultivating a friendship with God. Coming to Him, telling Him things that are going on in your life, asking Him, Lord, is there anything that's on your heart? Is there any concerns that you have about the world around you? Any concerns you have about people that I'm interacting with? One of the ways that I, I used to grow in the prophetic was I would uh, I used to uh, ace wait tables and bartend uh, when I was a youth pastor at, at a church called Wellspring. It was at a place called Snuffers. It was one of my favorite uh, burger joints. Um, but I loved working there for several reasons. One, 
Uh, one, they had great burgers. But two, uh, I didn't care if I lost that job. Because <laughs> if you get fired from a, a restaurant, you can always find another restaurant to hire you. And so I would always pray before going to work and say, hey, God, is there anything you want to say to so-and-so? And then I would come and I would share it. And I just knew, like, eventually I'm going to get fired for this, right? Like, I'm going, this is going to happen. Uh, and when I would bartend, you know, uh, which I know some may frown on that. It was, wasn't like a crazy thing, but um, I never got drunk. Don't, don't hear me on this. Um, but people from the surrounding restaurants would always come to our restaurant because we had the cheapest beer and we stayed open the latest. And so oftentimes people would come and they would tell us all kinds of things and I would ask if I could pray for them. And I just was like, I'm going to live my faith as loud as I can because I don't care if I lose this job. And I remember one guy coming to me and being like, yeah, I know about you. And I'm like, what do you mean you know about me? He's like, well, I know that you're a healer. I'm like, One, I'm not a healer. Two, where would you hear that? He goes, well, people talk. I guess I had prayed for a lot of people at that point. And the guy worked at the Cheesecake Factory next door. He had heard all about this. And I remember the day finally came uh, where I got called into the office. Um, and, and, I, and the manager said, hey, I need, to, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Because I just prayed for this guy who was deaf. And he loved it, but his wife was not happy about me doing that. So I thought, surely they complain and I'm about to lose my job. And so I get called into the office, and he says, you know, come up here. And I walk up the stairs. He says, close the door. I was like, okay, here he goes. And he said, man, I, I've had this back problem that's been bothering me for years. Uh, would you pray for me? I'm thinking, yeah, I'll pray for you. <laughs> but again, it, it all starts there with just cultivating a friendship with God, asking him questions like, hey, God, what do you think about so-and-so? Is there anything you'd want to say to encourage them? Um, and I, I saw a lot of things happen because of that, and I, I don't have time to get into all the stories. But um, So if God speaks to all of us, why does it feel like it's so hard? Why, why do several of us feel like he doesn't speak to us? Why is that the case? Job 33, 14. So Job and his buddies, they're in this argument. Now, there's, there's Job, Job has three friends. Two of them are considered not such good friends. Only one of them is, is not rebuked at the end of the book. He's sort of in the story is the truth teller. He's the youngest of them all. He's also the one who's not quick to speak. And he waits till the very end of Job's, his relationship with Job to speak up. And he only speaks up either when Job's friends have said something wrong or Job has said something not true. But he's the only truth teller that doesn't get rebuked at the end. And so one of the things that Job is wanting is he wants his day in court with God. Like, God, all of this bad has happened to me. You, you, you're the one afflicting me. I've done nothing wrong. And then Job's friends over here go, yeah, I don't know of anything Job did wrong, but he must have done something wrong because this kind of bad doesn't happen to anybody unless they've done something really bad. And, and they end up being not a good friend. At the end of the day, they're living in denial at the fact that bad things really do happen to good people. And yet, and so Job is saying, I want my day in court. Job's friends are saying, God doesn't speak to mortals like us. And then the youngest of them all pipes up and he says, no, 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 God does speak. Here one way, there another, though man may not perceive it. So God speaks in such a way that you might not even realize that it's him. Here one way, there another way. In various ways, God speaks to us. And then he goes on to describe one of the ways that God speaks to us. He says, I'll terrify men when they slumber. He'll speak to them in dreams. 
So why is it that we don't always feel like confident that God's speaking to us? Because he speaks in such a way that we might not even realize that it's him. Um, so I want to talk about the ways that God speaks, because if you want to grow in a friendship with God, it's important that you learn uh, to hear how God, all the ways that God speaks so you know how he speaks to you. And this is by no means a comprehensive list of the ways that God speaks. Uh, it's just sort of a, a, a bunch of ways that I found to be very common and that are pretty clearly spelled out in Scripture. So um, the first way we've already mentioned was Job 33, 14. He says he speaks to, to people when they sleep. He'll speak to them in dreams. Now, that's hard for most of us because you're like, Michael, I've dreamt some really weird things. Yes, I understand that. No, it's not always just the pizza you ate the night before. The scriptures are very clear that God speaks in dreams. Um, and, and here's the other thing about it. When he speaks in dreams, he doesn't just speak to believers. He'll speak to unbelievers too. And you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Right? God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar through a dream. The dream was so startling and unsettling for Nebuchadnezzar that he actually issues out this decree. And he says, hey, I want you to grab every person with any kind of mystical wisdom. I want you to tell them they're going to have to tell me not only the interpretation of my dream, but what I dreamt. Oh, and by the way, if they can't do this, they're to be put to death. I love this in some sense because what he's doing is he's basically saying there is a God who speaks, I know because I had a dream, which means whatever other religions are out there are either false or they're true, and I want to find the real thing. And so he puts the, uh, the command on it. And then sure enough, there's this one young, young guy named Daniel, or he gets renamed Belshazzar. He says, do not all dreams belong to God? And he prays. And he sets his heart to fast and pray to get the dream and, the, and its interpretation. He shows up to the king's house. He says, you, O king, were dreaming, and here's what you dreamt. And then tells them about this statue that the king saw with all these, these different materials. He says, now I'm going to tell you what it means. And he basically prophesies the next 500 years of the ancient Middle Eastern history. But all of these kingdoms that would rise up after Nebuchadnezzar. He gave them the interpretation. Well, that tells us something else, though, is that dreams are kind of fickle. Because some dreams are literal, and many are highly symbolic. So when you're thinking... Michael, you don't know how weird some of my dreams are. I go, yes, I do, because that's how God speaks. When he speaks in dreams or riddles or dark sayings, according to Numbers chapter 12, and according to Deuteronomy chapter 34. So what do we do with this? I'm going to give you three uh, words that are going to kind of help, uh, three bits of instruction that are going to help all of us when it comes to hearing God. Okay, first term is revelation. This just simply answers the question, what is God saying? So when God speaks to a dream, right, you may get a dream that's the form of revelation, but it answers the question, what is God saying? Next step, interpretation. Now, these are steps that all of us go through, whether we realize it or not, whenever we uh, uh, hear God. Same thing is true when you read your Bible. You read it, that's what he's saying, then you have to interpret it, you have to make sense of it. It answers the question, what does it mean? And then, third step, application. This just simply answers the question, what am I to do with it? And the frustrating thing is, 
You will go to God, you may get a revelation, but you may not get interpretation. And then you may get an application. Or you may get a revelation and an interpretation, but have no idea what to do with it. And that's all part of the process. So I'll give you an example. This uh, happened to me years ago when I was still really young and learning about prophecy and hearing God. And at, at my church, we would actually do prophecy uh, demonstrations on Sunday. And so, um, and we were scheduled to do this. So every Sunday, we had different people that were scheduled. And what they would do is they would sit through the service, worship, pray, and just ask God, is there anything you want to say to anybody in the room? And so the Sunday before I'm scheduled to do that, I have a dream. And in this dream, I see this woman on the left-hand side of the church. I'm at the church in the dream. Left-hand side of the church, there's this woman, and she's, it's the weirdest thing. She's standing up, and she's got this glass dome over her body. It's like she can't move. She's just stuck like this. Now, question for you guys. Uh, is this dream literal or symbolic? Symbolic, symbolic. okay. All right. What do you think it means? She's stuck. She's trapped. See, we're all getting interpretations here. Tough thing is, is if you're trying to make up what the interpretation is, you're usually going to fail. So I got a revelation that came through a dream, but then I got to go back to God and say, God, what does this mean? What are you trying to say to me? What do you want me to do with this? So that Sunday, I get up at church. I said, hey, last night I had a dream. Here's what I dreamt. Here's what I think it means. I think there's a woman here on the left-hand side of the church. That's the literal part of the dream. See, it's both literal and symbolic. I feel like there's a woman on the left-hand side of the church, and you have some sort of impediment that doesn't allow you to move your arms freely. It's either a frozen shoulder or some sort of rotator cuff injury. Um, but if that's you, would you just raise your hand? okay, I got a revelation. I had a true interpretation. My application might have been a little bit off. Uh, but sure enough, this woman stands up and everybody's laughing at me from what I just said. And I said, what's going on with you? She says, well, I, I actually have a frozen shoulder. And so we prayed for her publicly in front of everybody and she was healed in that moment. Now, again, what do you think that did for the church? No, right. Imagine she gets healed publicly. What do you think people are going to do at that church afterwards? Yeah, they want to go, they want to go get prayer. I'm like, God's in this place. He's healing. Anybody else with a shoulder issue is like, I'm getting prayer next. Right? That's what happens when you demonstrate these things publicly in a church. And it, and it hits. There are times when you'll get stuff and it's like, no, nobody responds. And you're up there looking like a big idiot. And that happens too, unfortunately. The name of the game, John Wimber used to say this, uh, uh, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's, that's how it works. And there's been times where I've been up front, I've given a word, and I've looked like the biggest idiot. Uh, there was a time where I was praying, and uh, I was at a church service, well, it was, it was a conference in 2017 called Convergence. Um, there's a record of all of this, so you can, you can check my facts. But... Um, I felt like I, I saw a picture, I, I heard the name uh, Kathy, just a name that popped into my head, and I saw a picture and a vision of uh, a woman pushing a, a, a person on a swing, and she's crying out to God saying, God, I can't do this anymore. 
and she's got this pain in her shoulder. And then I also saw that she had a little blonde uh, boy. So I get up in front of the 1,500 person. Most of them are pastors that come from the Reformed network called Acts 29. Okay, this is not your friendliest crowd. Uh, it's not the crowd you want to miss it with. And I said, hey, um, I felt like God showed me that there's a woman here named Kathy. Is there a Kathy in the room? Nobody raises their hand. Now, granted, it's reformed, so most of them are pastors, which means most of them are men. So there's going to be very few women at the conference, but uh, nobody raises their hand. I said, huh, okay. Um, well, if there's a, a Kathy, um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, I saw a, a woman named Kathy. You have a, a little blonde boy. I uh, see so you pushing a swing, and you're saying the words, I can't do this anymore. Now, sometimes you'll, you'll say a word, and nobody will respond. And so you just kind of throw it out there a little bit more and give more details. And Kathy, little blonde boy, see so you pushing a swing. You're saying the words, I can't do this anymore. Uh, you have pain in your shoulder. Where, where are you? Again, nobody raises their hands. So how many of you at this point are going, well, oh, missed it, right? Stone him, uh, false prophet. <laughs> so this is, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like, gosh, I feel like the biggest fool right now. Feel so embarrassed. And so I leave and, you know, we kind of move on. Well, after the meeting, I'm walking out of the venue with one of the other speakers and his wife. And as we walk out the back exit, I see this woman and her husband holding a little blonde boy. She's clearly waiting to speak to me. And I look at her and I go, you're Kathy, aren't you? She goes, yes. I go, what's the deal, Kathy? I'm up there looking like an idiot, you know? Well, uh, Kathy was in the nursing mom's room feeding her son. She goes on to tell me how she has a daughter, the two of them have a daughter, um, who's autistic, severely autistic. Um, to the, and one of the things they have to do, like she's non-communicative, uh, and one of the things they have to do is every night she has to push her on a swing to get her to fall asleep because of the sensory overload that she goes through. And as she's gotten older, it's been harder and harder to push her on that swing. And her shoulders started hurting, and she literally cried out to God one night, sleepless. And this is every night, just sleepless. God, I can't do this anymore. Prayed for Kathy. God healed her shoulder. Two years later, I'm at a church in, uh, in Abilene, Texas. And I'm up there prophesying and trying to get words. And... Every single word just bombed. None of it looked like it was accurate at all. And so again, I'm, I'm up there looking like an idiot. I'm used to looking like an idiot, uh, not just from prophecy, but from many other things. Uh, and so, I, you know, I finished. I said, well, thank you. It was a pleasure to do this and, and just kind of walk away. I said, I guess I missed it. No big deal. The pastor comes up after me and says, you know, it looks like Michael missed a lot of these words. And, and I've seen this happen before. Uh, I was at a, a conference, and, or actually I was talking to a, a, a young man who told me that Michael uh, prophesied to he and his family at a conference. And, uh, and he called her out by name, told her the issue she had with her shoulder and the prayer she had prayed in secret. And I was like, I, he tells a story, I go, do you know this family? Like, you just heard, you, who were you speaking to? He's like, yeah, this is the husband. I said, are you in contact? And it's like, yeah, they, they run another church, they're elders in another church here in Abilene. I was like, could you put me in contact with him? It's been two years. 
So I get to meet with the husband who tells me that not only was Kathy's shoulder healed, but also Kathy was the, the name only her father would call her Kathy. But also, and this is the craziest part, their daughter started sleeping through the night and she never had to push the swing again. Now here's the thing. Like, we have no idea what God will do, but you have to get used to being willing to look foolish when you do this stuff. Let me go through some other ways that God speaks. So I mentioned dreams. Sometimes they're very literal. Sometimes they're very symbolic. I mean, think of uh, Joseph when he had a dream about the son, his son, right? He gets an angel that visits him in a dream and says, flee, for the life of your son is going to be pursued. Should he have gotten up in the morning and prayed about it and go, okay, Lord, is this symbolic? What are you trying to tell me? What's the meaning of this dream? No, in this case, it's like, get going, right? Your life is being threatened. So some dreams, symbolic, they, need, they require this process of revelation, interpretation, application. Some dreams, quite literal. Um, other ways that God speaks is through visions, which we've talked about earlier. You see this all throughout the scriptures. There are various kinds of visions. Um, most visions take place in your imagination. Matter of fact, I would say, and I know that sounds hard, because when we think imagination, we think make-believe. Like when you're a kid... And you say, Mom, I'm bored. Your mom says, well, go, you know, uh, go play make-believe. Use your imagination. Come up with something, right? So we relegate the, the term imagination for the world of make-believe and fiction. But that's not how the ancient world thought about the imagination. They saw it as a, a means by which God could speak to us. Same thing with dreams. And so, um, but not only that, let me just ask you a question. Which part of you is off-limits to God? Um, my, my mentor, Jack Deere, tells a story about hearing John Wimber for the first time. John Wimber's a, he started a church called The Vineyard, a whole movement that kind of took place, and he's one of my heroes. I, I like John Wimber. Um, but Jack was listening to John pre, tell a, or do some demonstrations of words of knowledge, which just simply means facts or bits of information, falls within that revelatory category. And John was up there, and he said, hey, there's somebody here he goes, your name is, is, and I can't remember, let's just use the word uh, Sally, because uh, I, I don't remember what the name was. It's Sally. Um, you, you, you've got this issue with your, your kidneys, and the Lord wants to heal you. Where are you? Nobody comes up. Was, you flew in on a Tuesday, and, uh, and you're wearing a red dress. Well, then this woman gets up, and she starts walking to the front, like head kind of down, and, and John prays for her, and she gets healed. Oh, no, it was a back issue, from what I recall. And so Jack went up to John afterwards. He said, how did you know that? I mean, that's like, that's like Jeremiah or like Elijah or Ezekiel. He's like, how did you know that? And he goes, he goes you must have, that must have come to you as clear as day. He goes, oh, no, Jack, not at all. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, I just, the name just popped into my head out of nowhere, just popped in your head. He says, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but the other things, you know, like the, the, the bit about, you know, the, the back issue. He's like, yeah, it just popped into my head. He says, but what about that thing about her flying in on Tuesday? He says, oh, I don't know. I just thought came into my head that, you know, a lot of people would fly in on Wednesday. Some might fly in to get a little extra time uh, in California. So maybe she, she flew on a Tuesday. He says, well, okay, but the red dress. He goes, well, when I was talking, I saw uh, sort of in my mind's eye this little red dress just floating across the room. He goes, you're wearing a red dress. And he goes, and that's how you heard God? 
is, yeah. He says, well, why doesn't God speak more clearly? He goes, I don't know, Jack. I've just found that I've had more success adjusting my ways to, uh, to, to how God speaks than trying to get him to speak in ways that I understand. That's just it. I mean, God gets to decide how he speaks. And I know that oftentimes the ways that he speaks seem flimsy to us, but it's not up to us how he does it. It's his choice. And so, yeah, he'll speak to us in things like our imagination, uh, visions that take place in our mind. And half the time, this is the process. We're going, I have no idea what you're trying to show me. And so, God, what are you trying to say? Tell me what it means. And this is the process. You, gotta, you get a revelation, then you immediately go back to him and say, uh, Lord, what does this mean? Show me what this means. And then what, what do you want me to do with it? Because here's the other thing. Not everything you hear from God, he wants you to share. Sometimes he just wants you to pray. Sometimes he wants you to wait and pray for that person, and then he'll tell you when to share with them. It says, I think in, it's a, a proverb. It says, a word rightly spoken or timely spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. I have no idea what the apples of gold and setting of silver actually means, but it sounds really nice. Uh, so I'll give you another example. Um, I'm in a group of my Young Life kids when I was still doing Young Life, and we're practicing hearing God for one another. And this guy, he says, oh, I feel like I got something. I said, all right, cool. Tell me what you got. He says, well, uh, I, when I was praying, I saw a, a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. I said, awesome. I said, do you know what it means? He goes, I have no idea what it means. I said, okay, did God give you any application? He goes, yeah, I just know it's for this girl. And he points to the girl sitting next to me. And then she just starts crying. And I said, why is that so meaningful to you? She says, well, when I was a, a kid, I, I used to write poetry. And I would always talk about one of the common themes was how when a person is on fire for God, it's as beautiful as a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. So here's the other thing is sometimes God will give you a revelation. You'll have no idea what it means because it, you're not meant to. The person on the receiving end knows what it means, or maybe somebody else in the room knows what it means. So we do this in our home groups at my church. We'll practice hearing the voice for, for, of God for one another. And I may say, hey, I got a revelation. I don't know what it means, though. And somebody else goes, I think I know what it means. And then they share it. And oftentimes we find a lot of pretty amazing things happen in that way. Um, so God will speak to you in visions. Another way God will speak is through trances. Uh, Peter says he fell into a trance on the Lord's day. Right? Now, trances are not something you make happen. Matter of fact, they feel more supernatural. It's like something comes over you. you Peter fell into a trance. Right? He wasn't just imagining something in his head. Um, usually in a trance, all of your physical senses are engaged. You can smell, you can taste, you can touch, you can feel, you can hear. So totally different than a vision. Vision just sort of takes place in your imagination. Now, some people have what they call open visions, where they'll actually see like something in the natural. They'll have their eyes open, and something in the natural, they'll see it. It's like a movie screen pops out, and they'll have this, this whole thing play out in front of them. Trances, all of your senses, it's not just visionary, it's every part of you. Um, so one's got to wonder, why is it that sometimes God speaks through visions that you can sort of dismiss in your mind? or dreams that you can dismiss as bad pizza, uh, and then other times he speaks in trances. Like, why not speak that way all the time? From what I understand, and my, my, my observation both scripturally and experientially has been usually the more intense form of a revelation 
the more difficult it's going to be for you to follow through with what God has told you to do. So when you think of Peter having a trance, okay, what did he do? What was the, what was the interpretation and application? Right. So he walked into the home of a Gentile, ate with that, fan, that group, and the Holy Spirit got poured out on him. Why was he willing to do that? Do you know how taboo it was for a Jew to enter into the home of a Gentile and eat with them? The very act would make you unclean. Matter of fact, when he comes back and he reports to the council in Jerusalem what all, all, all that took place with the Gentiles, they said, you went and ate in the home of an uncircumcised man? It was incredulous. And then he shares with them all that happened. And they go, I guess the Lord has fulfilled what he always said, that he would rebuild the tabernacle of David, a place where both the Jews and the Gentiles could worship together. Why the more intense form? Because to do what he's being asked to do would come with social stigma. God will also speak audibly. Again, it's usually at a time when you need it more than anything. How many of you have heard the audible voice of God? Just raise your hands. Okay, keep your hand raised if it was at a very difficult time in your life. See all the hands staying up? So sometimes you should count your blessing that he doesn't speak to you audibly or through a trance. <laughs> and I'll just tell you this, that I, that I know of, I've never heard the audible voice of God and I've never fallen into a trance. But I can tell you a number of stories where amazing miracles have happened uh, and it was through little flimsy impressions and thoughts that would pop into my head. Another way that God will speak, as I just mentioned this, is an imp impression. In Acts 27.10, he says, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo, but also of the ship and possibly even our lives. Right? So there's just this impression that he gets. And then actually, the impression gets confirmed with an angelic visitation. And the angel assures him that nobody's life will be taken. Uh, in Acts 3, 4, it says that uh, Peter, along with the others, they, they, Peter fixed his gaze on the man who was paralyzed. Well, what did he see? How did he know? I mean, there's a lot of sick people in the world. How did he know this is the one that God wanted to heal? So he fixed his gaze on him. He must have been perceiving something that God wanted to do. Maybe he saw that there was faith for the man to be made well. You know, Jesus said he, he did only what he saw his father doing. Maybe he saw God doing something with the man. How did he do that? Other ways that God will speak, and I don't have scriptural uh, backing for this, so take it with a grain of salt, okay? I always want to be honest when I have scripture and when I don't, uh, but it's through thoughts. That's honestly the predominant way that I hear from God. Just a random thought will pop into my head. There was one particular Sunday at my church, again, where I'm scheduled to, to give prophetic words. And I'm looking at this guy, and the word uh, recover pops up in my head. Just a random word, just suddenly out of nowhere. I'm thinking, recover, recover. Well, what are you trying to show me? So I start looking through the Bible. It's like, is there any passage that talks about recovering something or recover? <laughs> And I, and I see this passage where David prays right after his, the wives and children of he and his men have been taken by the Philistines. He says, will I recover my, my, our wives and children? But it was like the words, will I recover? I'm looking at my Bible, and it's like those, that question, will I recover, was popping out of the page. And you can see the process I'm going through, right? It's not super clear cut. It's not like audible voice, clouds part, you know, like the dove lands, and then I hear God. You know, nothing like that. 
this will I recover sort of jumps out of the page. So I'm like, God, I think what you're trying to tell me is that this guy has been praying the words, will I recover? So I said, well, God, what do you want me to tell him? What does this mean? What's he trying to recover from? I don't hear anything. Okay. But God, what do you want me to do with this? Another thought. Michael, just tell him, yes, you will recover. Okay, God. I get up on the stage in front of 300 people. Um, I introduce myself. I say, what's your name? At my church, uh, we would always record the words that we gave. So that way we could also be held accountable for what we said. There's a record of it, evidence of it. Which, by the way, there's too little accountability these days when it comes to prophecy. Right? So we always want to be accountable for it. Right? If we make a mess with our prophetic words, it's our job to clean that up so much as we can. So we would always record it. We would always ask the person their name. What's your name? Unless that's part of the prophetic word. I said, hi, I'm Michael, and what's your name? He tells me his name. I said, well, I was praying for you earlier, and I, I felt like the Lord tell, told me that you... Oh, notice that I always say, I felt like the Lord told me. Some of you are like, well, that's not how it's done in the Bible. You know, you say, thus saith the Lord. Right? As if God only speaks in King James. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right. Um, here's the thing. Look, you know, that's not the way Elijah did it, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, Elijah did it very differently. Cool. When you're calling down fire like Elijah, then by all means, thus saith, thus, thus saith the Lord, right? But as you're just sort of beginning in your prophetic ministry, as you're growing in this gift and learning how to hear the voice of God, especially for others, far better to treat the gift in, to, to the degree that you're actually operating in. Hey, I feel like God is showing me this. And also, when you give a prophetic word, do it the way that you got the word. Explain the way you got the word. Hey, this came to me in my mind. This came to me in my imagination. This is a random thought that popped in my head. Let them know how the word came. Don't turn it into something bigger than it actually is. Okay, God doesn't need your help. Got it? So I look at the guy. I said, hey, I feel like you've been praying the words, will I recover? And I felt like God wanted, I asked God, you know, God, what is he trying to recover from? And I didn't hear anything, just silence. So I, I said, Lord, what do you want me to tell him? And just this thought came to my head, just tell him, yes, you will recover. I said, does this mean anything to you? And the guy just like, wide-eyed, goes, dude, you just totally read my mail. Uh, I said, oh, okay, you'll have to explain to me what, why you, what that means. Will you come talk to me afterwards? So he comes up to me after the meeting, and he says, well, this morning I was getting my kids ready for church, and I prayed, and I said, God, will I recover from my divorce? Why didn't God show me what he was trying to recover, recover from? Because it was none of my business. And that's the beauty of what God can do, is he can, he's so creative. He can even speak to us in a way that, that, that saves this man any public shame or embarrassment and yet still comfort him exactly in the place that he's at. Just let him know, yes, you will recover. They also think, you know, sometimes God, by not giving us all the details, is helping us from hurting people in our own immaturity. Because the fact is, we are not so socially aware as we think half the time. And we're really not good at any of this. And so it's actually a good thing when he doesn't give us all the details. Perhaps he's helping us and protecting us and protecting others from us in our immaturity. So he'll also speak to us in our physical senses. Uh, again, 
there's a verse of scripture that often gets used for this, though I don't think it means this. I'll, I'm going to quote it, but you guys do with it what you want. He says, Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature man who, because of practice, has trained their senses to discern good and evil. Now, I think that has more to do with doctrine because of the passage right after it, but I do believe God does speak to us through our physical senses. So oftentimes, what will happen is a person may feel a physical pain in their body, and they're like, what? I don't know why I feel this pain. It's not normal that I have this pain. I didn't injure this part of my body. Well, sometimes that's a means by which God is showing you that somebody else has a problem in their body in that exact spot, and you're feeling it because God wants to heal that person. Now, this is an interesting thing. When you get a word of knowledge for uh, pain, what's the automatic uh, interpretation? Somebody has a problem. What's the automatic application? God wants to heal that problem. I mention this because oftentimes prophetic people tend to treat sin differently. If you're seeing a sin, is it so that you could publicly expose them, shame them, and embarrass them? No. Vast majority of people in your church, they may be in sin, but they hate their sin. And if anything, they want freedom from their sin. And if God shows a prophetic person a sin, it's likely because there's power to set them free from that sin. The same God who gives you power to heal a sickness is the same God who died on the cross to set you free from that sin. So if you're seeing a sin, it's not so you can publicly shame or embarrass. It's because there's power to get them free from it, to bring it into the light. It's so that they can walk away from the shame of it. Now, how do we treat sin? Well, we're not going to call it publicly out. Same thing if you get a word of knowledge that's for a particularly sensitive part of the human anatomy, right? If you're seeing something that might not, people might not want others to know that they have that problem, how are you going to approach them? You're like, well, God showed me that you have this problem publicly. No, you don't do that. You go to them privately, right? Not everything you share is meant to be on a stage. Vast majority of what you share is going to be done quietly and privately with individuals. And when you come to them, you don't come to them lording over them, convincing them that you're a prophet and they need to listen to what you have to say. Right? It says uh, in 1 Timothy, no, 1 Peter 4, uh, 10, as each of you has been given a special gift, use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Okay, you use it as a steward, as a servant. Okay, it's called a gift of the Spirit. So it shouldn't feel like they're getting beaten up by it when you give it to them. It should feel like they're receiving a gift. How many of you have received a prophetic word from somebody and then after the fact you felt worse? Okay. That's called a misuse of prophecy or an abuse of prophecy. That is not what prophecy was intended for. It's a gift of the Spirit. So um, how did I get on this? Oh, physical senses. Same, so if you're, if you're seeing, feeling a spot in your body... That may be the Lord speaking to you. If you feel an emotion that doesn't feel normal for your circumstances, that also could be a way of God speaking to you. I'll give you an example. A buddy of mine, he's uh, up church, the same kind of thing, Sunday service, and he's feeling this pain in his chest. You know, like that. And, he, and it was, he was looking at my buddy that I had brought to church with me that Sunday. He says, you know that pain you get when you show up to school? Actually, I need to back up. I need to back up on the story. So this guy named Andrew, he and I used to work at a rock climbing wall. I used to uh, work there on one day a week, so I get a free membership. Uh, I'm not the only one who does that stuff. Uh, 
Anyway, Andrew had scoliosis, and I prayed for Andrew, and the Lord healed him. He was literally like an inch taller afterwards, completely healed, like super sovereign miracle. Now, Andrew hadn't stepped foot in a church for three years, but after he got healed, I said, would you like to come to church with me, son? He goes, yeah. And so he comes to church, and then my buddy sees Andrew sitting next to me, and he gets up on the stage, and he says, hi, I'm, I'm Jeremy. What's your name? He says, I'm Andrew. And we said, well, Andrew, you know that feeling you get when you show up to school and you have a test to take, but you forgot about it? He goes, when I was looking at you, I just kept feeling that, that thing in my chest, you know, that kind of like tightness. And he goes, um, I, just, I just rebuke that in the name of Jesus, a little magic wave of his, own, his hand. Well, Andrew tells me after the meeting that he was literally having a panic attack. Andrew didn't just suffer from scoliosis that got healed. Andrew suffered from a condition called agoraphobia, fear of public places, being around large groups of people you don't know. Now, Andrew, when he came to church with me, he didn't think about his own social anxieties. He was just so amazed that he got healed, and he's like, I've got to go. And yet here he is, and God puts his finger on the other major issue of Andrew's life and heals that too. I ran into Andrew two years later. Andrew has been uh, discipled in a church, walking with the Lord to this day. Isn't that amazing? How did my buddy Jeremy know that about Andrew? This emotion, this feeling in his chest that wasn't normal for his circumstances. So you may feel something. That's another way God speaks to you. A third way that God speaks, or sorry, a last way that God speaks I'm going to give tonight. Dude, I am so late tonight. We've we got way more to do. So look, if, I f if, if you're finished before I am, you are free to go. Okay. <laughs> You have my permission, I won't be offended, all right? But you're going to miss out on that prophetic word I had for you. No, I'm just messing. I'm messing. I'm messing. Um, one of the other ways that, that God speaks, and again, I don't have a scriptural reference for this. This is just mostly my experience and the experience of others I know, um, is oftentimes I'll look at people and they'll remind me of someone I know. It's just like this uncanny thing where I'm like, when I look at them, I'm like, oh, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, that's not you. You know, you're somebody else. Um, usually, the first thing that, that I remember about that person that they remind me of is true of them as well. So oftentimes, I've known people's names, their occupations, the conditions in their body, because I look at them and they just remind me of this other person. So um, I remember I was eating breakfast at the International House of Pancakes in, in Texas, and I'm telling two friends of mine that I used to go to youth group with at my cessationist Bible church, <laughs> telling them all about the things that I've been seeing, the power of God and all that. And so they're both kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Not sure how I feel about that. And uh, then the waitress walks up, and I look at her, and I said, do you have a toothache? And she was a, a sprightly, lively black lady. She goes, now, how did you know that? And I said, uh, Jesus told me because he wants to heal you. Can I pray for you? She goes, are you serious? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, Okay. Uh, she goes, what do I do? I said, well, just put your, your hand on the part of your mouth where it hurts. Now, what happened was when I sat down, and, or when she walked up, suddenly she reminded me of this woman I had prayed for in the past who had a toothache. Now, she didn't have a swollen cheek. There was nothing, no indicator outwardly that she had this issue. Um, and so I said, well, put your hand on your mouth, and um, I'm going to have my friends pray for you. And they're like, <laughs> you know, like, remember when Peter was like walking on the water? It's like, he didn't wait for Jesus. His friends didn't wait for Jesus. They just pushed him out of the boat. Yeah. I said, yeah, my friends are going to pray for you, and the Lord's going to do something. And so, um, 
And they're both looking at me like, uh, I am, you know? I'm like, yeah, just put your hand on her arm and just command the pain to leave. Say, all pain, leave in the name of Jesus. They're like, all pain, leave in the name of Jesus. And I said, all right, God bless you. And she walks away. My friends are like, what was that? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? They said, I could feel this thing like, like electricity shooting out of my hand. I was like, that's called power. Remember it says that Jesus felt power leave him? When you prayed for her, you felt power leave your body. She comes back. She says, I was supposed to have a root canal on my tooth on Friday. I just went and ate ice cream. I have no pain at all. Isn't that cool? And how did it happen? Reminded me of somebody I knew. Uh, I remember another occasion I was eating at a payway after church. <laughs> And uh, I'm sitting down with all of the friends from church, and this guy gets up on the other side of the, uh, the restaurant, and he gets up and he starts walking out. And I'm telling you, it's like as soon as I see him, it happens. And so I go running out the restaurant, and he's already across the street by the time I get there. And I said, hey, Josh. And the guy goes, I'm like, yeah, you're Josh, right? He goes, yeah. I said, come here. And so he comes back across the street, and he goes, do I know you? I said, no, you don't. I said, but you're, you're a worship leader. And he goes, yeah, I just led worship at my church this morning. I said, awesome. Well, God wants you to know you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. And he goes, thanks. <laughs> just kind of walks away. How did I know that? Same thing. Another time, I'm, I'm with a buddy of mine. He's, he's wanting to learn about words of knowledge. He starts asking me, like, well, how do you get words of knowledge? Well, sometimes it happens this way. Well, right then, this guy walks by me, and it, it, this is the thing with this stuff is I can't make it happen. Just sometimes it just randomly happens. And this guy walks by me, and I look at him, and I go, Mark. And he goes, do I know you? I said, no, sir, you don't, but your name is Mark, and, and you're a youth pastor. He goes, yeah, how do you know that? I said, God told me. He wants you to know you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. And he goes, thanks, and just kind of walks away. Meanwhile, my, my, my friend, sitting at the other side of the table, jaw just hits the, the table. And he's like, what? I was like, dude, I don't know. I can't make this stuff happen. It just happens. And that's oftentimes how it happens for me. But I, I'll, I'll tell you this. So I prayed for years for God to speak to me, words of knowledge. One of the things I pray, and I prayed about it this evening, is I pray, said, Lord, would you please give me words that people will know that it is undoubtedly you. Like, we live in a time where people desperately need to know that God is both real and that he knows every detail about our lives. Now, I cannot make that happen. I am not a prophet. And honestly, this stuff, it happens to me rarely when I get, like, really crazy words like that. But it does happen. Now, I've been doing this for 20 years now, and, and it does happen. And the more you do it, the more you grow in it, the more you see stuff happen. And also, the testimonies kind of help build faith for people. Thank you for listening to this session from the Hearing God and Prophecy Conference. To find other sessions, as well as our weekly messages, find us at opendoorpagosa.com.